Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, how are you today? Hanging in there, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. We got a jam-packed Friday again, so I don't know if this is going to be an annual thing or a weekly thing that we do with mailbags, but uh, two more episodes coming your way today. This is going to be the football mailbag But before we dive into the mailbag, Derek, we're going to discuss a story that you posted on Thursday to thecatspaws.com, projecting Kentucky football's 2021 depth chart on the offensive end. So fall camp begins a week from now. So now seems to be the perfect time to, to get this in there. So the first, what, eight minutes or so of this episode, we'll talk depth chart, and then we will move into the mailbag. Yeah, Sean, I, uh, there's a pretty cool feature 24-7 when I do my stories. It's, and it actually, if you guys follow me on Twitter or follow any of my work uh, during football season, I post – I mean, I'm not the only one. Hell, I think everybody posts a depth chart story. But uh, there's a clone feature, so it really saves me a lot of time. But the reason I bring that up is because I went and cloned this story from February. So I did a pre-spring depth chart, and – Sean, to tell you this, I was working on the defense today. It's not published yet, and it probably won't be published either. It might be published by the time people listen to this. Um, defense is not going to change a whole lot, but this offensive depth chart did. It changed a whole bunch because in the spring, I did not put Will Levis as an option. Obviously, he had transferred to Kentucky at the point when I wrote the story, but he was not here, so I didn't add him. But uh, three wide receivers had to get cut off this list. Alan Daly, Bryce Oliver, and Akeem Hayes all transferred. Uh, Keaton Upshaw got hurt. Dare Rosenthal transferred in. Yeah. There were quite a few changes when you really think about it from February until late July. Yeah. And even though there's a ton of changes and stuff, you have one position that you do not name a clear cut starter. And obviously, everybody kind of can assume what position that is as a quarterback spot. We know it's likely going to come down to Will Levis or Joey Gatewood. I'm not sure when we're going to get an answer on that, Derek. I don't think it'll be early in camp. Uh, do you see it maybe going all the way into the the opening week, or do you think we might get something sooner? I think it'll go right up to that first week. Um, I wasn't covering the team till, uh Stoops' first year. I don't really know how they did it that year when they picked a quarterback. They played a lot of guys that year, didn't they? And they played what, Whitlow and Smith and yeah. – uh, I think those were the two they played. But I, w- I would still say they're going to give Joey Gatewood and Will Levis almost the full time in uh, fall practice to try to see who moves out ahead. I mean, I think Joey uh, – I know we talked a little bit um, about the tweet Matt Jones sent out regarding that Joey Gatewood had really stepped up or whatever. I think the obvious question to ask is what did he do? Uh, <laughs> That's a mailbag question too. Is it in there? Okay, well, I won't, uh, won't talk about it too much then. But, yeah, I mean, just to, to answer what you said, I think about a week before the game. Will they know before then? Possibly. Um, and I don't think there's going to be any kind of, like, gamesmanship on not not wanting Central Michigan to prepare for one or the other – or, sorry, Louisiana Monroe to prepare for one or the other. Like, I think you feel like you can beat those guys regardless of how much they game plan. Um, the other spots that – I did it I did it a little differently. I put I usually put three wide receivers as a starter, but I just figured with how much 12 personnel they're going to run, I just went ahead and added two starters. But that might change too, though, with Upshaw out. I mean, I still think they're going to run a lot of 12, but, I mean, they might 
if someone else is playing a little bit better at wide receiver, then maybe Bates is playing at tight end or another guy behind him. Like, I think that really reshuffles the deck a little bit. But the only spots on the offensive line, they're, they're really two positions. And I guess you could say that you hate to annoy anybody as a starter before they even get here. But, like, I just got to take the knowledge that Dare Rosenthal, if he's got his head on right and he's, he's on the field, he's going to start. I mean, you don't leave LSU as a starter to come to UK and sit the bench probably. So, I put him at right tackle. I think they're going to give Darian Kennard that chance at left tackle. So what does that mean for right guard? Because at right tackle, we would have said Jeremy Flex. You know, after what he came out of the spring, high praise, I think the coaches were, were really comfortable with him there. Can Flex handle right guard? I think the idea would be to get your five best offensive linemen out there. So he'll be one to watch. And I'll, I'll tell you a sleeper, and I'll put this in the story. I talked to Eric Wolford for the yearbook story earlier this year. He mentioned Eli Cox as his best position being right guard. Matter of fact, he was a starter at right guard coming out of the spring. So take that for what it's worth, because last year you saw Luke Fortner there, and his backup for the most part was Austin Dotson. Cox didn't play a whole lot, but that might change this year. So he's someone I would watch. And then at center, uh, I just mentioned Fortner, who played right guard. I think that's probably where he's going to end up. So that's really the only changes. I still like Horsey and Kennard on that left side. And at tight end, like with Upshaw out, Bates slides in. But besides that, I mean, that was pretty much it for – for any of the big questions that I had anyway. Yeah, and and looking at this too, you, you're talking about that right guard position where you have Flex penciled in as a starter, then it's Austin Dotson, Eli Cox, and then Jagger Burton. That right there shows the level of recruitment that Kentucky football and development they've had on the offensive line there to the piece like Jagger Burton is fourth at that spot. Yeah, I think they're going to be in a good enough spot where, I mean, unless there are just a lot of injuries or the other part could be that he's just so good that they have to uh, – play him somewhere I don't think that's going to be the case um, that's kind of the thing outside of those wide receivers you don't really have a whole lot of freshmen on the on the depth chart I mean I think it's so hard with those backups because that wide receiver just because outside of Robinson and Ali uh, I think you probably feel best about Isaiah Epps after that but it could be anybody after that who steps up and it wouldn't surprise me uh, very much but this uh one of the things I want to bring up, and we can move on to the mailbag after this, and I, I was just wondering if you had thought through it as much because it really took me until I started doing this uh, updated depth chart again, just kind of how much Kentucky is going to lose potentially off this team this year. Yeah. You get to looking at running back, you got to think Chris Rodriguez is going to be ready to make that jump with one more good year. He's a fourth-year college guy. He wants to do his degree. He should have it this year. I think you go into this year thinking he's gone. I think you probably have the expectation that Wondell Robinson wants to try to leave after this year. Uh, Josh Ali obviously came back for his fifth year. He's got no more eligibility after this season. Kennard's going to go to the NFL. Fortner's going to graduate. Um, Rosenthal, if you listen to Ed Orger on talk, Rosenthal should be a pretty high draft pick if he puts it all together. Uh, and then you got Dotson as a reserve guard uh, graduating. Uh, and that's just all on offense. So you talk about defense, it's even more probably pronounced because Josh Pass was going to be gone, Marquand McCall. He didn't redshirt, so technically he has a COVID year. So I wouldn't write him off totally, but uh, he is going to be a senior. He's going to be gone. DeAndre Square could be gone. Jacquez Jones could be gone. Cedric Dort's going to be gone. Yusuf Corker's going to be gone. Ty Agents, you see what I'm saying, right? Devontae yeah. Robinson's going to be gone. So, Had you kind of noticed that yet? Because I, I had as, not. As much as I keep up with football, it kind of snuck up on me just how much – they're gonna have they're gonna be losing. So does that change how you feel about this season and what they need to accomplish? I mean, I definitely I definitely think that 
it makes me feel a little bit more confident that I think that they could live up to some of the expectations that we've talked about. And I mean, there's going to be some pressure there to get it done because Derek, we're, we're talking, I mean, at Oklahoma and Texas moving into the league and stuff. And there's no way I'm going to say that Kentucky can't compete with those programs. We've already talked about how I think that they can compete with Texas for sure, but we don't know what the alignment's going to look like and things like that. When the, the new 16 team SEC is kind of released and, We'll get an idea of what that looks like in the near future. But I think that this is the kind of year where you look at it and say, all right, we, we got to make a move again. And honestly, what they do this year really tells the tale of what this program, I think, can become. If you can get to another non-win regular season or non-win, 10-win with the bowl, then you've done it twice. And then you no longer think it from an outside national media perspective that it's a fluke. And then you take that step further in recruiting. I think that you you want to capitalize on having so much experience coming back. You hit the transfer portal hard. You got star talent coming in in Wondell Robinson and other places. You take advantage of that, and I think you can set this program up to kind of move into a 16-team SEC and be ready to maybe be there middle of the pack or a little bit higher. Yeah, Jordan Rott was another guy I left off in a string of players I was naming. So the last thing I'll say, too, if you're if you're someone who loves Kentucky football and you love just thinking about it and what the future might hold, I think you're going to see a very heavy dose of that 2020 class playing starting basically as soon as next season. Because if you've got to replace Pascal, the two guys behind him who are likely to get reps this year, Trayvon Ripka and Salmonelli, both guys from that 2020 class. Assuming McCall doesn't take a fifth year, you got Justin Rogers and Josiah Hayes battling for that spot. Once again, both 2020 guys. Octavius Oxenak could be a starter as soon as this season at defensive tackle. Uh, Again, a 2020 guy. So that was a very lauded uh, freshman class. It was, I think, behind Clemson and Alabama maybe. It was like one of the highest-ranked defensive line classes in the country. Well, those guys could be all starting next year. And then you go to linebacker, he's in the 21 class, but Trevin Wallace could be ready for a starting job. You go back to 2019, Jared Casey could be ready. And then at the edge, you know, J.J. Weaver could be the best player on the whole team next year. I think that highly of him. So it's going to be – yeah, it's going to be a bit of a youth movement, but you're going to see the guys they recruited who are very highly ranked um, ready to step up. And depending on what happens at that running back spot, you know, with your depth chart, you got Jatal McLean right there third, Kavasia Smoke second. Depending on what happens – you could see Jatal McLean be the starter at that, that spot next year. was a very year. important class that yeah. they signed. It was a good one that they needed. I mean, a guy like Drennan could still step up. I mean, Carrington Valentine was the lowest-ranked guy. He's probably going to be a starter. I forgot about Derek Jackson because he's injured, but that's probably a two-deep guy yeah. next season. Joel Williams we haven't seen much of. Ricky Hyatt, they got a lot of DBs in that class. So, we'll see. But a lot of that 2019 to 21 recruiting classes, plus whatever they have from the transfer portal, that's going to be a big uh, focus for next year's team. And I, I would say too, Sean, before we go to the mailbag, it probably makes it even more important that they figure out that quarterback spot this year. You're going to need someone solidified back there to try to help make that a little bit easier. Uh, that bridges a lot the of gap. Guys in. That yeah. bridges the gap so much easier, especially on offense. If you have a quarterback that's experienced, you can kind of piece things around that. And that is that's massive. But this it also shows too, Derek, that just the quality of depth that they've built and added to this program that we're talking about them losing a ton. But you just named off a lot of guys that have a ton of potential and a ton of talent that it just shows how beneficial it is to to stack classes. You can't just have a good one and then kind of slack off for a year or two. And then here here comes yeah. another one. That's not how you build a program. 
they built a program because they've been able to stack classes and uh, it's going to be, it's going to be fun to watch for sure. Yeah. I mean, you think about the 20 and 21 classes, especially on offense, signed a lot of wide receivers in those classes. You got to think those guys are going to be ready to, to step up. But I mean, I think you look at that roster, it makes a lot of sense and you got to see what's available in the portal, but I think it makes a lot of sense to, to, to target as good of a wide receiver transfer as you can following this year. And you hope that'll be easier to do if you're able to show that you have a good passing offense this year. If you get a guy like Wandell coming in and having a great year, they could probably convince another transfer that, hey, I could come there for one year, maybe two years, and I can be off to the NFL as well yeah. playing in this offense. Yeah, yeah, put an offense out there that's slinging the football around and stuff, and you can, uh, you're can you appealing to some wide receivers, especially if you got a quarterback there. But before we dive into the smell bag, i got to tell you one more time about Blue Wire Hustle. And if you love listening to us here on Kentucky Daily, what is stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place to do it, Derek, than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is this. You can get all of it for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listen to us talk about your Kentucky Wildcats, then make your voice heard and hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join or check out the description box in the episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com join. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Derek, let's jump into this Buffalo Wings and Rings mailbag. Brought to you by Buffalo Wings and Rings in London, Kentucky. Conveniently located right there off I-75. Great place to catch a game. Kentucky football season right around the corner. If you're not one of those fans making it out to Kroger Field, I highly recommend stopping at Wings and Rings. Or if you are that Kentucky fan that makes it out to Kroger Field and you're coming back down 75 or on the way up, stop in for lunch, stop in for a post-game meal. An excellent family atmosphere, place to, to go. If you let's That first game's at noon. Let's go catch that game at Kroger Field and then go watch the rest of the games at Buffalo Wings and Rings there in London, Kentucky. But, Derek, let's let's jump into this football mailbag. We're, I expect these mailbags to get deeper going into next week when we finally start fall camp and we move through that. Uh, obviously, we're going to be talking a lot about the, the quarterback position, uh, the offensive line, everything across the board. Do you see a question there that you want to start with? 
Let's start with Ben's question. Um, quarterback question here. What is the particular team better off with? Gatewood at its best or Levis at his? I mean, who really has more to offer us if they were to become elite? The super strong arm or the super athlete? I guess this could be sort of a hot take question, so have fun with it. Well, we'll try, Ben. Uh, Sean, you, you go and take that first. And, and Ben's uh, all over the mailbag here. I yeah, see like two or three up. questions from Ben. <laughs> so, Ben, thank you for providing some content for work today. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a tricky one, right? Man, Gatewood, I could see Gatewood being successful at more spots than just playing quarterback. When you just look at his body and his size, um, that's going to be the interesting thing, right, Derek? You want – we've talked about this, too, when it comes to Joey Gatewood in this program. You don't want to just come out and say that Will Levis is the guy because you want Joey Gatewood to be around because what if some, what if Will Levis ends up being the guy and he gets hurt in week one? And yeah. you need Joey Gatewood preparing. Oh, that is a hot take question. I, I think Stoops – Stoops is loyal, super, super loyal. Joey Gatewood transferred into this program. He put a full year in. He put the spring in. I think they're both going to get their shot. Man, this is hard. I don't really know where to go. I want, where are you going with this one? Yeah, what's weird about this is, like, you got to do some projecting because we've not really seen either guy. That's the I hard mean, part. What their best could be. So, it's – I think if you're looking at, like, a prototype – and if you if you read Kyle Tucker's story, if you're a member of the Athletic, the quote that he got from Liam Cohen was more or less along the lines of, "You think about what this guy can do if he, you know, has a whole game to himself. If he knows that, you know, he's not going to get yanked. If he struggles, and he was kind of talking about his arm strength and and things like that. I think Levis has a running ability. We know that. I mean, that was that was basically his major role. He's a top ten all time career rusher for Penn State in terms of uh, being a quarterback." But, you know, he does have a super strong arm. And I kind of – I would kind of lean towards him if you're just going off potential. But, again, like I said, I mean, Gatewood was a top 50 recruit as a high schooler. I mean, he was very raw. And I don't know if he played quarterback full-time for his high school team. Uh, I think there are things to like. Um, you've watched him warm up as of I at Kroger Field. I mean, his arm's there. I mean, the guy can throw up 50 yards off his back foot, no problem, you know, on air and warm-ups. I haven't seen Levis throw in person yet, um, but I would probably say, given what we've seen in terms of game film, like there is a little bit more from mm -hmm. Levis to see. Yeah. So I would I would probably go with Levis for this question. Yeah. yeah, and if if you're talking though potential from the draft class and where he was ranked, if he if Joey Gatewood lives up to that, then that's great. Then Joey Joey Gatewood's a top fifty player in <laughs> uh, in his class, so that would be. That would be big if that happens. I just think that they have options, obviously, with, with either one of these guys. I do think that they're both going to get opportunities. You would love to see – let's say Levis is the starter in game one. You would love to see Kentucky kind of run that thing out and then get into that fourth quarter and get Joey Gatewood. Let's say Joey Gatewood's the backup and get him two or three drives. Or yeah. do you ride it out and build consistency and continuity with that offense going into a week two matchup with Missouri? Yeah, that's that's what I would say. I, I, yeah. I mean, if you're just absolutely killing them, then you know you need to try to get your well, backup in there for sure. But, what you hope is there's some there's a significant amount of separation, right? Is that what you're hoping for? Or do you hope it's competitive, like to the point to where it's it's hard to make a decision? What what is better? Like that's a completely different question. What would be better for this team? One just comes out and runs away with it, or yeah, that's a good question. 
I almost wonder if you asked that question of Stoops, how he would approach that. Because the only thing you ever hear coaches talk about is competition, competition, competition. Well, when it talks about like the quarterback spot is uh, quarterback spot, the quarterback spot is unique in the sense that, you know, obviously with a lot of other positions, you can, you know, more or less, you get more guys playing. But with quarterback, most teams, the best teams, you're only playing one. And I do think part of, honestly, why Terry Wilson played so much is just because I think that they kind of chose him as the guy and they just didn't want to get into the, the kind of thing. And and another thing, I mean, I'm not trying to criticize the staff too much. They were kind of bad at like rotating quarterbacks in, to be honest. Like the Missouri was, game was like such a cluster. They put Joe in for like one or two drives and then put Terry back in. Like it was just very odd. They've not they've not really done a good job handling the quarterback spot. Maybe, maybe you could pin that blame on Eddie Grant and Henshaw. I don't know who it's the one. Ultimately, it all comes down to Stoops, right? Like, he's the head coach. He's the one who gets the the criticism for that. So, I would say with this staff, with what they've shown us in the past, I think you'd want a pretty big separation. You want to hope that whoever it is that they choose, uh, you won't have any second thoughts on them. Yeah, you want to know on that opening day who it is. You don't want to go. And like like that game a couple years ago where – was it Terry started the game? And then the next thing you know, Gunnar Hoax in there. Was that the year? And Danny Clark. And Danny Clark, yeah. Like <laughs> he came it in just, and fumbled. I think they got like it back. Just, that, was, that was hard. You know, that was kind of hard to – and it was even – it made the offense even more difficult to kind of get some continuity and, and some chemistry. Uh, and what you could say about that, though, yeah, I don't know what you're about to go to, but real quick, what you could say about that, too, though, and what I think fans would hope for is you could say – Hey, we got two or three real quality guys on this team. Whereas maybe in 2018, there was just nobody that was really yeah. good enough to play. So we'll see if that turns out to be the case, though. Yeah, which leads us into Brandon's question, and he's going to—he's asking us, "Do you think what Matt Jones said about Gatewood is just to keep him around?" Derek, you—you kind of touched on it there before we even got into the mailbag. That what has you know what opportunities have Joey get? What opportunities have any of these guys had? to really show separation or show significant improvement when it comes to things because there's they're not practicing. So like that what are you, two weeks from now if something like that is said, then you're like, okay, and we talked about that the other day. There's going to be a guy that's going to surprise us that we're not even talking about right now. And it's going to be called it's going to be after that opening week or that second week of practice on one of those Saturday interviews that we get Mark Stoops after a scrimmage. He's going to come out, the coordinators are going to come out, the players are going to talk about it and say it. And then we're going to be like, okay, that's a guy to watch for. And most of the time, that guy ends up doing what when the season comes around? That's a guy that's breaking in and making plays. That's when I take that talk serious. I don't want to say it's just to keep him around, but I think it's maybe to – it could either A, ignite the other guy or just build confidence the other way. That's how I look at it. Yeah, and you can also take it to the bank that Stoops is going to come out after the second scrimmage and hate it, hate everything about it. He does it every year. That's always a bad scrimmage. And then he's happy before they uh, actually open the season. The Gatewood thing, and again, I mean, I, I think if you follow Matt Jones, he obviously has a lot of great football and all, uh, f- football scoops. I mean, he, he gets a lot of things. Uh, if you know that about him, I think you can realize that that was a very narrative-driven tweet that somebody wanted him to – I just call it what it is. Like, that was somebody wanting people basically not to, I guess, forget about Joey. I don't. I can't say for sure if it was something where they were worried that Joey wasn't happy about it or if they just don't like the narrative that Will Levis has already won the job. I, I don't think he has already won the job. I think he's definitely, in my mind, based on what I've heard, I think he's definitely got a great chance to win it. But he's not even practiced yet officially. 
So if that's what they were going for, I somewhat understand it. But that's the question you got to ask yourself when you see that tweet is what exactly could he have done? And you can say that for Levis too, for that matter. What has Levis done since he's been here to, to win the job anymore? I'm just still going off of what I think Cohen thinks about Levis and the fact that he recruited Levis. And that, that can be true, and it can also be true that Joey outperformed maybe what they thought he would in the fall, and it's set up to be a real competition. But I just kind of – I just don't know if it really means anything, basically, right now. Yeah, so you're mean to tell me that you think that that was pushed out there to maybe a couple of days after there's a picture floating around of Will Levis standing between Wondell Robinson and Josh Ali yeah. flexing. <laughs> Making yeah. it, I mean, making it clear cut look like that that's the QB one when that picture goes out there. And then I quote to it and say, I can see a lot of passing touchdowns already with this. Yeah. You, you want to, you want competition. And I think you want those two guys locked in. You want Bo Allen locked in going into fall camp. I don't think you want anyone kind of sitting there thinking, man, do I even have a shot at this before we even get started? You've got to go off of the history of quarterbacks under Mark Stoops that have been very good. I mean, a lot of guys have played. So, yeah, you know, you're totally right. Like, there's a real chance based on what we've seen, you know. Neither of these guys have ever handled a full workload as a starting quarterback. Uh, Levis kind of did for a moment. I mean, he started a few games at Penn State, but not not a whole, you know, 12-game regular season. So, you definitely need to have guys available. And uh, you're right about Bo. I mean – he was a guy last year. Well, not not quite all the way last year, but pretty much after the 2020 season finished, I mean, I felt like he was going to be the guy. And it's, it is kind of like he's been forgotten about. And I would be surprised if he sees a ton of time this year. But I don't. I would not write him off though for the future. I mean, I still think there's a good chance that Bo Allen is Kentucky starting quarterback one day. I just don't think it's going to be this season at any point. No, and this is a question that I need to get to from July 9th because I asked you, I said, did I <laughs> did I get to this one? I missed it because we didn't record for a bit, and I, I, I couldn't remember talking about it, but Dylan sent this in on July 9th, and I replied and just completely forgot about it. And if he hadn't liked my reply earlier this week, I probably would have forgotten about it again. But I, he said, I've got a question for the next football mailbag, so sorry. Dylan, it was probably the next to next football mailbag. If you could choose one former Kentucky football legend to be a part of this year's team, who would it be? Mine would be either Tim Couch, Stevie Johnson, or Josh Allen. It's a really good question. One legend. And obviously you need to kind of go off what they have and what this team would need position-wise, right? You can't just pick the best player. Hmm. Or you could. Did you pick? Is, were those his picks? Those Allen were, and, oh, okay. I thought yeah, those were his. Tim Couch, Stevie Johnson, or Josh Allen. That would be one of his. One of those three would be his pick. All three, very logical. Very yeah. logical choices. Although I would I would choose Randall Cobb over Stevie Johnson. Although Stevie was a great player, no doubt about it. But I just uh, loved Randall Cobb at Kentucky. I did too. He's got the right idea in terms of position because you talk about the pass rush. You talk about a need for talent at wide receiver, and you got questions at quarterback. So all make a lot of sense. Um, I'm not going to pick Tim Couch just simply because I don't watch him play at Kentucky. So the best QB in my lifetime at UK is Andre Woodson by a fairly large margin. He could spin a ball, couldn't he? I mean, I guess Lorenzo, the tail end of Lorenzo's career, but I obviously Woodson played on better teams. Andre Woodson had the best spiral I've ever seen, like just effortless. 
Throws great well deep then. ball. A great deep ball. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, does, how much does this offense command that a quarterback can drop back and throw at 50 yards? You know, this is not – I don't think that's really going to be that for this offense. If I'm only having to pick one single guy, it's really hard, but I do think you got to choose a quarterback just because it's such an important position. So screw it. I'm taking Woodson. <laughs> and I'm going to go uh, – let's see here. I'll go couch. I I got to watch couch. Like, couch was my first year watching Kentucky football, 1998. And you're talking about a guy that could drop back and just sling the thing. And it was, you know, geared around getting the ball out of his hands quickly to playmakers, Craig Yeast and mm-hmm. some others on that team that I could see. Man, you put him on this team with uh, Wondell Robinson and uh, Josh Ali and these tight ends and stuff. And Kentucky has – I have no doubts Kentucky slinging the football around. And then you put him with a running back like a Chris Rodriguez and Cavassier smoke and this offensive line, I'd have loved to seen Tim couch play with all this talent. Yeah. That's, that's or Andre. Point. I mean, Andre Woodson played with a lot of talent too, but would you like to have this Kentucky defense and stuff during those years? And these, I mean, they had some good guys too on the defensive side, but. Ooh. Their, their first 11 on both sides of the ball were, were good enough. Yeah, to play it was with the other. Yeah. They just didn't, they didn't have a team as deep anywhere near as deep as what Stoops has built. I see one more in your replies. There might be more, but this is the one I see. It's from Venice. Uh, they ask, this is a two-parter. How high do you think Keontae Goodwin gets? And the second question is, how good is the current offensive line with this new stretch zone and passing attack with a play action? How good can it be? Um, how high can so he get? Take, how high do you uh, think he can get, Derek? I think he can definitely. I mean, Landon Young finished number 12, I think, of 24-7 after a really good uh, – you know, he got bumped that high. He was a fairly highly rated recruit the whole time, but he got bumped that high by a lot of sites after the uh, – it used to be the U.S. Army All-American game. I don't know who sponsors it now. I think it's, it might just be the All-American game now. But that's when he got really bumped up. I mean, Goodwin is obviously very well known. I mean, he was Ohio State's top tackle target. He's stayed pretty high. Uh on three, already has him as a five-star. On three's biggest network also at this point is KSR. I'm not saying anything's uh, been decided because they might genuinely think he's the number 17th best player or whatever, uh, number 17 best player. I think he could be a five-star, but people have been saying that he's basically stayed right around the 50s area. So I don't think you're going to see a big drop from him, but if he is – and he might have already been invited to the All-American game, I'm not sure – but a lot of those guys will see their rankings really sore or whatnot when they get in that setting against other elite players. And the second part of that question, you know, obviously asking about the stretch zone and the passing attack with play action, Derek, how, how good do you think it can be? I mean, it's it's a change the way they're going to be doing things. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a question I'll, I'd love to talk with uh, Cohen and Eric Wolford about. Yeah, and I've talked about on this podcast a few times. Like, there are going to be changes. Can you just count? You know, I fell in this trap. Like a lot of fans probably have. Like, you just assume the running game is going to stay good, but this will be different offense. Will they be as effective running the ball as what they have been under, or what they were under Eddie Grant and and John Schlarman? I tend to think that that they've got such good players that it would be surprising if they weren't a very good rushing offensive team. But with the offensive line, I mean, you got a new center. We saw how big of a challenge that was in 2017 when he went from John Toth to, I think, Bunchy tried to play a little bit. I think Nick Haynes tried to play a little bit before they finally settled on Drake Jackson. 
I mean, you don't ever want to pin a loss on one player, one thing, but snapping issues were a big problem that game against Florida. I mean, that had a direct impact on how that game turned out. So how good can Fortner be there? I think he's definitely smart enough to handle that position, but it's still a new spot for him. Kennard's playing a new spot. I know he's got all the talent in the world. I kind of think there might be a few more questions with this offensive line than what we've all asked, to be honest with you. And back to Final Four has questions about the D-line. What is going on with the D-line football pass rusher recruiting? Looks like a major position of need and haven't heard of any likely commits. With UK's recent success putting guys in the pros, how has this become a challenging position to recruit? Um, it is definitely quiet on the defensive search. Um, and they do need – my understanding is 2023 is going to be a huge defensive line class for Kentucky. Um, I don't think you're going to see as, as much quantity in this one. They signed two guys last year who you probably wouldn't describe as pass rushers or they weren't really recruited or so, and uh, Khalil Saunders and also uh, Jamarius Dinkins. Those are two guys who are going to be playing defensive tackle. Uh, and it can be a, a, an effective spot if you're good enough. I mean, Phil Hoskins provided a pretty good pass rush from that position. But in terms of the recruiting, I don't think they have anybody on the hook uh, that you just feel really good about at this point. That doesn't mean that that won't change, but there are no names right now that I could give you that I would say are, are people maybe, to really watch out for. Maybe that's a transfer portal position too. I think so, yeah. That they, that they add something there in the spring or, or winter somewhere along those lines. Ron has a question too, Derek, and I sent you the graphic earlier. It's our final question that I see for the football mailbag. And obviously, there's a lot of talk right now because of Texas and Oklahoma. It's official. They will be joining the SEC. They, they were accepted in the league. They accepted that. Uh, and we're moving towards a new era in college football. We've been talking about NIL and all these other things. We're moving into a new era of alignment. It's going to force other leagues to try to keep up. So at some point, you could see four super conferences, right? Four 16-team yep. Conferences, the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12. I have no idea how names are going to work out and all of that. But Ron sent this in. He sent the graphic. and He says, I saw this on Instagram and wanted to know yours and Derek's thoughts on it. And it's obviously got Texas and Oklahoma added to the SEC. And it's split into is – it, is it pods there, Derek, with the West being Oklahoma, yeah. Texas, LSU – or Oklahoma, Texas, A&M, LSU, and Texas – the east is South Carolina, Tennessee, Vandy, Kentucky. The south is Georgia, Alabama, Auburn, Florida. And the north is the two Mississippi schools, Arkansas, Missouri. Just what are your thoughts on the way those are potted for the SEC? Very lopsided. I don't – I can't imagine the teams would like that. You know, Georgia, Georgia, Alabama, Alabama Florida. Florida. And that's crazy. And then Oklahoma, LSU. I mean, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas a and LSU, all four of those teams are, are very good. And then, like honestly, the north and east are, are pretty pretty bad. The north, the north is it's, well. You could say both are awful. Actually, there's not one like outstanding program in the north or the east in that scenario. If this but that goes would be a to, dream for go ahead. Well, I was going to say if it go, yeah, that would be a huge dream, right? If you give Kentucky, <laughs> Kentucky Tennessee, South Carolina, <laughs> Vandy, yeah, you're you're taking yeah. that every single time. Don't even argue. But what I was about to say, do you think that if it goes to if in let's say all conferences follow the same type of alignment, let's say it goes to four pods. Do you think there has to be like a tier that is just like you have to take history into account? Like Alabama has to be in its tier, and then you put an Oklahoma in a tier or a Georgia, like is and forget the whole east, west, north, south thing. I think so to keep it competitive. I mean, 
Dude, UK could win that East pod. I mean, they're they're better than all three of those programs right they now. They could win the East and they, the North. They would, yeah, they would they would be the favorites, no doubt. Probably in both of those. Um and I, I think, think they could be competitive in the West. I think if you're I think there's a really good chance Kentucky and Tennessee are stuck in the same one, but I would about guarantee you're gonna get Georgia and Florida in it as well, if that's yeah. the way that they go. Uh South Carolina's interesting to me because I would think like in this scenario where it has Georgia, Alabama, Florida, and Auburn in the South, I think you would remove Alabama from there. And I think like a South Carolina would probably fit in there pretty good. Uh, I, I would not be surprised at all if Vanderbilt gets grouped with the Mississippi schools or Arkansas or Missouri, someone like that. Um, and you want to keep would, your rivals too. You want to keep yeah. the Egg Bowl. You want to keep the, uh, to me, Alabama. Yeah, you yeah. want to keep all that. You and you got to find, and that's what's going to be challenging is to find a way to do that without really making it. You don't want to load up one side of this thing and have Oklahoma and Alabama and Georgia or oh, it's something not, like it's, that. Uh, yeah, and something. somebody's going to get like when you look at the league, whatever it comes down to it, you've got three programs there. In I'm just what they have been: Oklahoma, Georgia, Alabama. Two of them are going to have to be together in some capacity. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, what if you took – what if you kept Georgia – or sorry. Uh, well, I mean, you got you got all the big rivalries in the South. You got the Georgia and Florida, the most important SEC East game every year or has been here lately. Obviously, you got the Iron Bowl, but Georgia and Auburn is one of the oldest rivalries in the SEC as well. I mean, that one is – I think I understand why they put those teams where they did. I just don't think that's going to be realistic. Um, to, I'm going to do that. But the others – Andy and put Georgia in there in Kentucky's, and I think that would be reasonable. Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky. I'd be fine with that. Yeah, poor Vanderbilt, right? Yeah. I don't. Where do you put them? Somebody's – Yeah, I mean, Vanderbilt's not going to end up anywhere where they would be, like, enthused, I don't think. Um, some other interesting teams in this uh, graphic as it pertains to the Big Ten. It has them adding Kansas and Iowa State. The Pac-12 would add – oh, Lord, they had a lot of teams. They basically took over the Big 12 in this thing. The Big 12 would have Texas Tech, Baylor, Kansas State, and Oklahoma State. And then the ACC would add West Virginia and Notre Dame. It sounds like Notre Dame is just hell-bent on staying independent, though, during well, all this. That's actually what I was about to ask you. Do you think that this forces them – to do it i mean if we do if there's four super conferences how do you view notre dame like how do they know, have if to all schedule? these yeah if all these teams are just beating up on each other and then you got notre dame i mean i know notre dame plays a good schedule uh play a ton of power five teams um play some good i mean they beat clemson last year in the regular season the usc used to be really good um i would i don't see why they wouldn't just join the acc i mean they would still have a pretty good chance to win that so, i mean they were clemson right right now yeah until Florida State or North Carolina. I mean, North Carolina's doing really good uh, under Mac Brown. But uh, I think this graphic has the right intent, I would say. Uh, and I wouldn't say it was poorly executed. Hell, they're just spitballing. I just don't think there's any way the West or the South will be that loaded in the SEC. I can't imagine those teams would all agree to that. You want some kind of gimme game, right, Sean? Like, you want something that you – I mean, you could be – you could have a top-10 team in the South and lose to all three of those other teams in your, in your uh, pod. I mean, that's crazy. Just give everybody Vanderbilt somehow. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, yeah. just wear it out. Just give everybody Vanderbilt. 
uh, it's going to be interesting to follow this and how this all shakes out. You know, Kansas, it has Kansas and Iowa State as the two teams that would be added to the Big Ten. And those those Dame, teams do nothing. I mean, I guess basketball, Kansas yeah. would help. But football is – I mean, I know Iowa State's doing great in football right now. But how long does Matt Campbell stay there? Probably not that much longer. Yeah. Yeah, I don't – I'm trying to make sure we haven't missed anything. I don't think we have. If we have, just DM me, uh, get to me, and remind me, and I will be sure that we get it on the next spell back, Derek. Uh, anything you want to add before we wrap this thing up? Obviously, it's been a huge month for us. Yeah, this has been a great month. Uh, one of our best months, actually, if not the best by the time tomorrow night gets here. Um, I agree with you. I think there will be more questions in the mailbag once we start having some real news come out of UK's football's uh, fall camp. But until then, uh, we'll, me and you will have to discuss how we want to keep doing the mailbags because next week will be a very busy Friday. We might need to move that up. Yeah. Uh, but either way, it's these always perform very well by our metrics, and we appreciate you guys listening. And if you have any kind of question, feel free to just throw it in there and we'll get it answered, hopefully within a timely manner. I know the one today was from July 9th, but that happens sometimes. Some of them slip <laughs> through the cracks. Yeah, and there's a lot of you, too, that – I haven't responded to you when you DM me. And the reason I don't is because the moment that I accept it or something, then it doesn't show the notification anymore. So yeah. I kind of leave those there. That way it pops up every single time. But there are some of you that I'm going to start DMing back because I'm seeing conversations where a few of you have reached out to me for like the last two weeks and I've not got back to you. So I'm going to be sure to take some time this weekend and make sure I respond to all of you. I apologize. The the DMs with the mailbag and everything else, it's kind of crazy. Sometimes I forget what's going on. So if I do forget a question and I've responded to you to say, we'll do it, just like it, and it will send me a notification to see it. That's how I was able to get the uh, legend question in there with Tim Couch and all that. But we appreciate everyone downloading. We appreciate all the reviews. I mean, we're almost over 100 reviews now. That's the goal that we wanted to be. Going into August, we're going to be doing some exciting things here. Coming up on our one-year anniversary of Kentucky Daily, August 7th, uh, 2020, was the first day that we dropped an episode. That was the day uh, I could honestly say college football stood still for a moment because we got the SEC 10-game schedule, and then the next morning it looked like everybody was going to shut down and not play college football. Thankfully, they didn't, and Kentucky Daily has now become a part of your daily routine, hopefully. It has certainly has hours, and we love every second of it. But we'll be back for a basketball mailbag episode right after this. So if you listen to the football one, be looking for basketball mailbag to drop as well. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time.